Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 2, Episode 1, for Saturday the 1st of August 2020. Coming up in this week's programme, I'll explain how things are going to work during Season 2, which is very much a testing bed for the next 10 weeks. I'll bring you right up to date with my writing and editing progress since June 2020. I just landed a fourth all-star bonus, I'll tell you about that. And Lee Wood has christened the question-asking service offered on this podcast. I'll be answering his Kalytics query before the end of today's show. But first, some non-writing-related stats since we last spoke. I just wanted to let you know that uh, yesterday I completed my 120th game of Scrabble with my mum, and I am actually pleased to report that I haven't actually counted up recently, but I did a random count around 100 games, and we'd won exactly the same number of games, which was just an incredible fluke. But at that random count, it was 50-50. And just at a rough count, uh, I would say probably my mum's slightly ahead of me, but it's still roughly, it'll be about like 55-45. No, it, it won't even be that. It's, it's roughly 50-50 still. So that's good to hear. Maybe that means I've improved my game. And then as far as runs are concerned, I've now completed since March the 15th, which is pretty well when my lockdown started. Um, 100 runs, I've done 100 runs. My total distance run since March 15th is 521.7 kilometers. Since that time, I've been running <laughs> for 57 hours, 29 minutes and eight seconds. And just in case you're interested in this kind of thing, um, and I, I wish I'd burned all this in one day, uh, the calories I've burned are 35,440. That's since March the 15th. So those are some non-writing related stats. I'll be giving you all the writing related stats that you're really here for before the end of today's podcast. So first of all then, at the beginning of season one of this 10 episode series, why is this podcast returned? Like, what are you doing here, Paul? I thought you'd gone. I thought that was it. Uh, and now you pop up on my mobile phone, on the podcast feed, and I wasn't expecting you. So I've had, uh, frankly, a very enjoyable time since lockdown began in that I've been playing around with different softwares, different services. And what I've been doing with the podcast, I used to use a service called Libsyn for the podcast and was very happy with it. And I've moved to a free service now called Anchor. So it's Anchor as in a ship's anchor. And it's made the whole process quicker, simpler, free, of course. And you'll remember I, I said to you that if you're paying for an activity and you're not making any profit from it, that's just a hobby. Uh, you know, if you're paying for something to, that you do and you're enjoying it, presumably, but it makes no money, that's a hobby. And the podcast never really paid for itself. And the reason for that was when I started it in April 2000, whatever it was, four years ago, I think it was, I think it's four years ago, the, the, the years just blend after a while. I think it's four years old. Um, I'd have to look at the diary to check. But when I started it then, the original concept was I, I was coming out of internet marketing at that time and obviously transitioning to being an author so I set up a writing podcast and I set it up in a very much internet marketing way, which is, means it had a, a course attached to it. And the, the, I sold some courses, you know, I sold plenty of courses. It was okay. But with a course comes support. And as a long-term listener of this podcast, you know that I really don't like 
offering support and I'm happy to sort of it's a one-way thing for me I'm very happy to share everything like I do in this podcast but I don't want people constantly contacting me saying how do you do this how do you do this how do you do this because I never get books written if I if I do that so I just bring the drawbridge up and, and you know don't do that because that's one of the secrets to productivity is saying uh, no I haven't got time to do this so I ditched that concept of the the training program I kind of let it run for a bit and then you know, people who paid, you can see the activity, people stop logging in, and then it's time to, to close it down. And that's what I did with the training course after about a year, because I, I really didn't want to support it. That's not what I wanted. And then after that, I never really came up with a, a model. I, I used to make affiliate sales and things like that. But essentially, it was costing me not a huge amount. And people were uh, sponsoring it on Patreon. And that was, you know, paying all the expenses for a while as well. But the problem with Patreon is and I hear lots of podcast people jumping into Patreon, and I just it just makes me tired hearing what they're doing to get people's sponsorship. I think you know, you're already doing a, a podcast, which takes enough time and enough commitment, and then here you are writing a story every week or something like that, and it exhausts me. I think that you know, I just think those people are heading for burnout. And to be honest with you, my own little experiment with Patreon, I started doing videos and extras and things like that to justify the monthly payments that people were giving and it just became one more thing to do just one more uh, stress in life and our purpose in life as writers is to write and publish books sell things make money from them and so really what I've done is I've I've remodeled the podcast and I'm going to try it for 10 weeks and just see how it goes I've got a format that I, I, I'm happy with but I'm going to test it for 10 weeks and it's not going to become like this uh, you know, albatross around the neck where you've got to just keep pedaling faster and faster to keep it up. So this is very much a 10-week period to try out some new ideas. So that's what I'm committing to, 10 weeks. And the other reason why it's a good time for the podcast is, of course, I now have three non-fiction books out. And so the podcast is a great way to talk about those topics and then to refer to the non-fiction books. So it's an ideal outlet for my non-fiction books, which of course don't require any support. I'm also going to give myself some more freedom in the topics that I discuss. So I haven't actually come up with a title at the moment. I've called this Paul's Podcast Diary, but you've had some mini episodes. I've done seven mini episodes now. And I'm honestly tempted to just drop what I feel like in the feed. But, you know, clearly it's going to focus on writing. It'll focus on marketing and, and web stuff, geeky stuff. It'll focus on those things. But if you've listened to the shorter extracts, a lot of the time I'm recording those after I've been for a run because I often get a bit of inspiration or start thinking about things when I'm running. You may hate those running episodes and that's fine if you do. But I just want to mix it up a little bit and I'm just going to try different things over the next 10 weeks and just see where we are. Uh, it won't predominantly be an interview podcast so I'm not really anticipating doing any interviews and this is a very pressing editorial reason to do interviews so that isn't going to be part of the formula anymore um, they, you might get the odd one-off one if I'm really desperate to talk to somebody but I, I'm not going to do that I have to say that as I'm listening to more podcasts I'm more interested now in listening to the actual writers talking to me so if you, I, I like to connect with podcast hosts that I identify with and then I'm I'm happy to listen to what they're up to so in Joanna Penn's podcast I love to listen to her updates those are the bits that I'm really uh, tuned into and, and riveted by but often when the guests come on it's like well not really interested in that and I, sw and I switch off at that point um, of course occasionally I listen to a guest all the way through because I'm very interested in it and that's the great thing about podcasts um, but with the six-figure 
is it six figure authors that podcast you know i prefer listening to the authors talking about the things that they're doing um, and and so that's that's what i'm going to do with this podcast um you know i think there's plenty of other interview podcasts and all what you're going to hear on here is what i'm up to what i'm doing what i'm learning and just uh, sharing it uh, and the other thing of course is, is if 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 we ever make it to spain what with all the changes that have taken place this week by our government who seem to just make it up as they go along i'm sure they put lots of options into a hat they shuffle them up and then they draw three out every day just to confuse everybody but that's what it's like in the uk at the moment so uh, you know given that planes are still flying trains are still running and boats are still sailing we're still hoping to get to spain but who knows at the moment who knows the government may on a whim just d decide to ban all helicopter flights um, you know from Carla or, or something like that who, who knows at the moment so um, we're still planning to go to Spain and if we do and uh, the podcast continues I'd quite like to share the kind of digital nomadic stuff the things we're doing with banks uh, and, and the way we're receiving money and tax stuff you know all those kind of um, writer on the road sort of experiences as well so that's me setting out my stall. And because I don't have any costs now, the only cost is my time, and I've always enjoyed actually doing the podcast, I'm reducing the processing time because Anchor allows me to systemize things in a way that Libsyn didn't. So for instance, you're going to hear trailers in this new podcast when I'm promoting books and, and various things that I'm an affiliate for. Those are all pre-recorded. They're all teed up. And when I'm editing the podcast, I just drag the audio in and Anchor just magically mixes it. So it might be a little bit uh, rougher. I'm not going to be sitting there super editing it or anything like that, uh, but it makes it very, very easily. I don't have any costs, so the podcast doesn't have to justify itself so long as it pleases me. Um, you know, it doesn't even have to please you to a certain extent. You know, so long as it pleases me and, um, and I feel like I'm getting something from it, it doesn't matter if no one's even listening to it anymore. I'm quite happy talking to myself because I don't have to replace any costs. It's not taking any money out of the business anymore. Uh, it's only taking my time. So I am happier with the funding model. And uh, those of you who've been checking out these shorter episodes will know that I'm now obviously using adverts for products that I use regularly. So those are affiliate offers where I take a kickback if you go to buy Vellum or something like that, for instance. And it doesn't cost you any more. I just take up a, a cut of the, you know, what it costs you. Um, so that's affiliate marketing. I've always done that, but I've just ramped that up a little bit more with affiliate marketing. Also gone for some affiliate products, number one, that convert, that people actually use, but also that make me a decent amount of income. I've got my non-fiction books to promote now. And of course, I'm using Buy Me A Coffee. Now, I love Buy Me A Coffee. And we've had some very early adopters already. So thank you very much if you've already been on to Buy Me A Coffee and uh, sponsored the show. Now, why I love Buy Me A Coffee is it does work like Patreon. So you can sponsor somebody uh, month by month by month by month. And as, as a show host, I can add extra content for people who are sponsoring me every month. But I, I'm not planning to do that, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't want to get into that chasing my tail kind of situation. But why I love Buy Me A Coffee is that you could just... Uh, sponsor it one off um, if you hear a show or I, I give you a tip that saves you a fortune or saves you loads of time or anything like that all I'm going to say is if you ever sit in there and, and, and I do this this replicates my experience of podcasts you know I, I wish I could just buy someone a coffee because occasionally you'll listen to a podcast and you think that was a blooming good podcast and what I would rather do is just sponsor with uh, you know a fiver and, and send a message saying brilliant episode thank you very much rather than having to get to this monthly commitment of Patreon. So buy me a coffee reflects 
much better how I prefer to do business, which is that um, you know if you if you sh- want to show gratitude, if you where you would normally say thank you, just buy a coffee, and you're not signing your life away. You know you're not going to get double glazing salesman appearing on the on the doorstep. It's just going to be a simple buy me a coffee and you're done. And you don't have to ever do it again if you don't want to. But if you do, it's easy to do. So buy me a coffee suited me extremely well. And the other thing is, is I put buy me a coffee all over the place now. And I've even had uh, readers uh, buy me a coffee too. So, uh, you know, just saying really enjoy your books and just supporting me with, with coffee. So it's it's fabulous. It's taken off really quickly. Just brings this steady flow of micro payments in. But already I'm loving it way more than Patreon. And what I would say about buy me a coffee as I'll set my stall out is buy me a coffee is about this podcast there's not going to be any secret episodes or extra content what you see is what you get it's going to be on this podcast so if at any time um you know in real life you would say i'll buy a coffee because that was really handy that's fine and then that all goes to support the the podcast and thank you if you've already done that the other thing i'm doing and i learned this trick i wish i'd known this actually when i started the podcast first time this is going to be a seasonal podcast now so when I set the podcast up, I, I really created a rod for my own back in the the original concept was to have one interview episode every week. And it takes some doing an, an interview episode every week, not, not only finding the guests, but recording them, editing them, preparing them, researching them. It really is, you know, quite a tall order doing an interview every week. And I, I did it for quite some time. I went to 150. 40 episodes was it maybe 150 interviews there's a lot of interviews there and um, a lot of work and I stepped away from interviews some time ago so I really do prefer that occasional interview format rather than the every week format and then I, I sort of transitioned to the podcast diary and constantly the feedback I get about this podcast is that people prefer uh, the podcast diary that's virtually what everybody says to me is uh, when, when, when you work in radio and people meet you the thing that everybody says to you is, you don't look like I imagined. And on the podcast, everybody says to me, I really like the diary best. And so, you know, you get that kind of consistent message from people sometimes. And that's what it is with the podcast. So that's pretty well what I'm going to do. But because it's seasonal now, I can take a break. So for instance, this is going to run for 10 episodes. And when it takes a break, I'm going to be, presuming we, we can still go to Spain, I'm going to be right at the heart of moving furniture, packing it, all sorts of things. So it's a really good time to take a break and then to come back to it if and when we're settled in Spain. So seasons allow me to just switch it on and to switch it off. Now, what I will do is when I tell you I'm doing a season and I say it's 10 weeks, unless I get COVID, of course, we always have to have the COVID arrangement just in case, but you know, unless, unless I get the dreaded COVID um, or something else, ill you know other illness you'll get your 10 you'll get your 10 episodes so i'll always give you i won't be like the british government you'll get clear guidance and you'll know exactly what to expect from me so if i tell you i'm going to do 10 episodes you know unless i get knocked down by a bus you'll get the 10 episodes and when i finish the 10 episodes i'll tell you if there are another 10 episodes or 15 episodes or whatever it is coming again and you'll know what date those are coming so i will give you clarity even though I've now got the ability to switch things on and off and I, I think the advantage of that is that you can just take a break when you need one and you know what I'm like the, the thing is is that with seasons it's it's much easier for me to take those breaks when I didn't have any breaks built in I just kept on going 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 relentlessly and, and that's just the way I'm wired so it's always good to build in those breaks 
The other thing, and, and one of the most pressing things about this podcast, is that I enjoy massively the community that's built up around this show. I've met so many people directly or on Twitter, uh, you know, or interviewed them. It's been really, really good for networking and getting to know other indie authors. And I got to tell you, you know, I really value those relationships. So, you know, that that's one of the very pressing reasons to keep this going. And one of the frustrations about the podcast, I think, when it was something that I'd set up to be, well, hopefully to, to make a bit of an impact in the podcasting world, is, you know, it's quite demoralising when you constantly see these top 10 writing podcasts and, and uh, these great lists of podcasts, and you're never on the blasted things. And you think, well, am I just broadcasting into a void here? You know, how, how does one get people to know that one's doing a podcast? So I must admit, you know, the, the podcast is really sort of struggled to make any kind of significant breakthrough in the podcast. I mean, I've had thousands of downloads on it, but, you know, I hear people like, um, what's it, self-publishing, what, what's it called, Brian Cohen's one. I listen to it every week. Sell book, sell book show. You hear people casually drop in that we've just exceeded a million uh, downloads. And while I have had downloads, you know, in the thousands, I ain't got a million downloads yet. And I've been at it for four years. So you do sometimes feel like it's blowing in the wind a bit. So, the fact that it's free now and that I can stop it and start it to, to please myself just really, I think, sort of suits it more. It doesn't have to perform. It doesn't matter if it doesn't perform. And I'm quite happy in this scenario, broadcasting, if, if I have to, to, you know, if I was, 20 people who listen every week. That's fine because it doesn't have to pay for itself. It doesn't have to justify itself. It only has to please me now. So it's going to run for 10 weeks and it's going to culminate in my quarter three review and my quarter four preview. And then I, I hope, well, I just have to see how things go. I hope we'll be picking things up in Spain. But that is all up in the air, as you would expect at the moment. So let me give you a catch up then with writing. And one of the things I do want to say to you is, is obviously, you know, that this year, since lockdown, my author income has, has gone up um, tremendously. And I don't want this to become an author income show, and I'm not massively comfortable sharing the income week in, week out. So I'm just going to kind of give you some, some broad numbers so you can get a sense of where I am. And then I'm just going to say to you, look, I'm not going to be discussing income anymore other than the key things. So if I get a all-star bonus, you know, if I hit six figures, if I hit some of these big targets, I'll let you know. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary now. And then that's going to be it. And from that point, I'll just tell you big stuff pretty well as I have done for, for the last four years. So the last of my big payments came in, well, it was this morning, actually, because I always get my UK payment last. So this month's payments um, were £11,891.33. That's what went into the business bank account. And then that is $15,430, sorry, dollars, $15,430 and €13,106. So hopefully wherever you're in the world, that will give you a sense of what that income was. And that, I think, was that income for May? I think that's May income, isn't it? We're a couple of months behind. So that's just from Amazon. Um, That's the the income that came in. So, uh, you know, that's obviously very exciting but what I can tell you now is that you know those big months now are over they're going down we're going back down to normal earnings at the moment when I um, the, the kind of COVID factor has gone it was very very noticeable I think I said to you at the beginning I didn't think it was to do with COVID and that's because I set the adverts off in 
January. I started advertising that big box set in January, and then it was just a normal, you know, reasonable month in February, and then it started to go crazy from March, which is when all the lockdowns started. And because I'd started in January, I hadn't really sort of associated the success I had with it with COVID. But now I look back on it now, now the the glory days of that launch have gone. I think it definitely was due to COVID. So I don't think it was due to my, you know, my skill and popularity as an author for one minute. I think I just happened to hit right at the time and that's why those months were so high i'm not complaining of course but that's why i think those months were so high now um i'll give you some other sort of headline figures because i i'll talk a little bit more about this when we get into marketing later on but i have now got book report and uh, it's given me some interesting data so what i can tell you is i am now uh, not this year but as an author as an independent author i am a six-figure indie author in that i have made over $100,000 of income in Amazon alone. So I haven't even counted up my Kobo's and my Googles and, and all the others. But on Amazon alone, this is across my career, not across the year, I am now a six-figure author. So I've earned from my books in sales over $100,000. And, and, and so what that evens out as, basically, is for all, if you even it out, over my whole author career, I've earned about £21,000 a year, uh, if you even it all out. And that's gross, by the way. So if you look at my kind of total numbers across my whole career, I can tell you now that I've made, and I'm going to give you this in pounds, I've made just short of £86,000 from my books. I've made 63904 sales. I've had 13 million 899,940 page reads, and I've given away 243,226 freebies as part of promotions. So that really just gives you a sense of where I am right now and what I've done. And the last two months have been my biggest income months ever. So I can't even remember what last month was. Um, 16,000, 17,000, something like that. And this has been just short of 12,000. Um, and none of that income takes into account draft of digital, um, you know, um, published drive, all the other sort of sources of books that I've had. Um, that, that's just Amazon only. So it just gives you a sense of what I've had to do over four years to get to that level. Now, clearly, although I say my average income is about £21,000 a year, what I can tell you is that my income so far this year, not the um, pr pretty well the tax year, but if we just do it from the calendar year, it's over £50,000 of income so far this year. So I don't think I'm going to hit, oh, I've, actually, I've written it down. It's £51,924.28, only from Amazon. So uh, that's just the Amazon income this year. Um, so that's just a uh, an indicator of what I've had so far this year. Now, what I want to say to you is, is that isn't going to double unless I pull some magic rabbit out of the hat. That isn't going to double to make it a hundred thousand um, pounds, you know, uh, year. It, we might scrape a dollar's year. We might scrape a dollar's year. I don't think so, though. I think it's very unlikely. But I am, I now can say I am at least a six figure author in terms of my total income. I've made over um, $100,000, but not pounds yet. I think we'll hit pounds this year for total author career. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's me just kind of drawing a line. Now, what, what I'm going to do now is I, I, I will just 
tell you what moves the needle in future. So really, my next targets are, can I be a six-figure author in pounds for my total career? Can I be a six-figure author within one year in dollars? Can I be a six-figure author in one year in pounds? So those are pretty well the things that I'm looking to do now. Those are my next targets as an author. So I'm not going to tell you every you know, bump and grind of, of, of my income. I'm just going to tell you the big stuff now. Um, and if I hit any of those targets, I'll let you know. And instead, what I am going to tell you week in, week out, as I always have done for four years, is what's working, what's not, you know, what, what I've learned, what I'm ditching, all those sorts of things. Now, I do want to just bring you up to date with bonuses because I've now had four months worth of bonuses. I think I probably said to you last time I recorded one of these that I thought that I might just scrape one for, oh, do I get mixed up with the months? Was it June? Must have been June, mustn't it, I think. Yeah, I thought I might just scrape one for June, and I did. I scraped a £250 all-star bonus. So uh, I won't get another bonus. I'm telling you I will not get another bonus because the, the numbers are just too low now. I think that for July, if I just quickly bring up book report, I think I'm going to be fewer than a million page reads in July. And I know if you've not reached these numbers before, you'll be thinking a million page reads and you're moaning about that. Uh, I, I'm not moaning about it. I'm just saying that I, I've had way higher than that. And I ain't going to hit it this month. So what are my page reads this month? Yeah, I'm, I'm below a million this month. So my total page reads at the moment are eight, eight, 875,645. So I'm recording this on the last day of July. I ain't going to hit a million page reads this month. So uh, I won't be getting any more bonuses. So in, in terms of bonuses, and I think I, got, I did something like, was it, I've had, 270 bonuses, two 750 bonuses, one 1,250 bonus and a 250 bonus. I think that's right. So I got a 750 first, a 1,250, a 750 bonus and a 250 bonus. So, um, you know, again, in terms of the targets, I've, I've, I've just blown a lot of targets out of the way. So I have been, a, I am now a number one bestseller in sales and I've done that in a couple of charts. So uh, I've, I've hit those charts. I've been, I'm pretty sure... I've been a top 100 total Amazon author now. So in the total chart, I'm pretty sure I'm not telling you a lie. I'm sure I got a screenshot of that somewhere that I'm a top 100 total UK, not USA, by the way, UK Amazon author. Um, I got, and you know, if you've listened for any length of time, I've ranted for years that I've been able to get number one in the free charts, but I've not been able to get number one in the paid charts. So I, I have been number one in the paid charts for ages, actually. Uh, in, in Vigilante Justice is pretty well the category that I do best in. So all those targets are, are blown out of the water. I've never had a all-star bonus before. I've just had four all-star bonuses as well. So this is why I say to you, I'm not going to just sit there telling you about the income every month. Really, the next targets are six-figure total income, all-time author income, six-figure yearly in dollars and pounds. Those are the next big targets as far as I'm concerned. And I'll let you know if I'm getting anywhere near those otherwise just assume that the income's chugging along <laughs> and i'll uh, i'll kind of tell you if there are any any big milestones that i've reached that i need to share with you there's just one last thing that i want to share with you by the way and i didn't realize this amazon sends you an email to say whether you've got an all-star bonus 
and it usually comes it comes any time from the 26th of the month that's the earliest i've had one to the 30th of the month so you usually get your all-star bonus email then of course i've no previous experience of this so i'm learning this all the time and they tell you that you've got your bonus so usually i get i've had two bonuses most month i think it was 250 and 500 and then it was 750 and 500 and then this month it was just 250 and to be honest with you i'm not entirely sure what the bonuses were for i mean i know what the book was but i think i got it for being an author i don't know whether it was because i was at number one or top 10 or something and i must have got it for page reads but they don't actually specifically tell you what each bonus is for but one of the things that i had to learn just through experience is how do you get paid that bonus so when i got the first bonus i was waiting for the payment thinking well when, when's that payment coming then I haven't, I haven't seen that and just in case you're fortunate enough for this to happen to you when you get the payment you don't get a separate payment of the bonus it sits in your amazon payments dashboard so in my amazon payments dashboard i've got the i have all the checks for the uk the us brazil germany all those little amounts and if you click to open the amounts that's where you see your bonus so it just gets added to your uk income it doesn't get paid separately so it caught me out first time because i was expect i got i got a lot more than i thought in the uk thinking oh that's good that's more than i budgeted for and then i actually found out that that amount included the 750 already where i was sitting there waiting for it to come in separate i'd even emailed amazon and said how do i get this when do i get this bonus what should i be looking for so that's just a little practical tip for you that if you ever do get a bonus that's where it's paid that's where you need to look for it that's where you'll see that they've settled with you okay we'll take a short break and then we'll move on to my writing update If you're ready to move your self-publishing career out of the doldrums, then you should check out my non-fiction book, The Five Figure Fiction Formula, available in ebook and paperback formats and distributed via Amazon, Apple, Google, Barnes & Noble and Kobo. This book explains how I achieved my first five-figure earnings months and three all-star bonuses. Having self-published more than 23 books across three genres, I've condensed a process which took me four years to master. You can hear every twist and turn in season one of my podcast diaries. If you want to take your author career from zero to five figures without the detours, delays and frustrations, then start reading the five-figure fiction formula today. Just head for bookstoread.com forward slash formula to get started. When we went into lockdown, I was really worried about writing fiction again, and I made the switch to nonfiction. And I always forget the timescales here because I seem to remember in January when I started writing again, I think I started working on a nonfiction book, which was the podcast book. And if memory serves me correctly, I started working on End of Men. And then I stayed at work longer than I'd expected to. So I'd expected to be finishing, originally I was gonna finish work at Christmas and then I, I just kept extending it. And, and in the end, I finished at the end of, of February. So I parked End of Men for a little while and I just got on during lockdown with writing non-fiction books. And I, I published, I finished writing and published the podcast book. I did the five-figure fiction formula and I did the create and sell digital products. So I got three non-fiction books out. And I was really, that was my way of productive procrastination, if you want to call it that. And I wanted to be busy. I wanted to be publishing something. But I really didn't think that I would be able to write any fiction at that time. Because and I'd actually say to you that I'm probably finding lockdown and COVID harder than I was at the beginning now. I'm, I'm sort of struggling 
I think with the lack of variety and the lack of freedom, I, I didn't realise how much I got out and about before COVID. We, we always going on little adventures and things like that. And, and of course you can't, well, you can go on little adventures, but you expose yourself to risk and, and everything's much harder now, isn't it? You, know, you can't just go to the shops. You can't just nip out to the shops. Nipping out to the shops is an exercise in hand sanitization, uh, face mask wearing, and keeping away from other people. You know, nothing simple now. Uh, you can't just nip out and do anything. You've got to plan for everything. So the other day, I, I did a little podcast diary insert about this when we went to Sunderland Point to research and photograph the locations for the book that I've been writing. Even that, we had to do research and say, well, look, if I need to stop off to the loo or get some fuel, are the service stations open? And what are we going to do for food? we need to you know we need to eat while we're there and we just needed to plan the thing to make sure that when we were far away from home we could do all the things that we needed to do so i would say i'm probably struggling a little bit more with the covid situation now that i was right at the beginning but i have managed to find a, a routine and uh, you know even the routine's getting a bit dull i'm thinking time for a change time for a change which is actually why we went down to some little point the other day i was thinking oh i just need some variety in my life i i need to do something different and that's why we went to to do those photographs and it, it was a, a great day out and i do have to remind myself that we can actually still do things like that um so let me bring you up to date with the writing i have now completed the first draft of my first fiction book of the year. And just to refresh your memory, I'm currently writing the Morecambe Bay Trilogy 2. So obviously three books in a brand new trilogy based around Morecambe Bay. And I've just had such brilliant feedback for that series of books. I've shifted a lot of copies, obviously. And I've just had amazing feedback on the books. Uh, I mean, literally just a handful of moaners and not even bad moaners. Um, and loads and loads and loads. And I'm really not exaggerating of people saying how much they love the books. It's been a huge confidence booster for me. I wish half of those people would have left uh, reviews on the books on Amazon. But if you look at the stream of comments I've had um, on Facebook, on the adverts, it's been absolutely amazing. So it's been a bit of an ego boost, to be honest with you. You'll know that I tend to uh, talk my writing down and don't seem to have a lot of confidence uh, with it. But it has given me a nice little little boost uh, doing this, you know, to have all those lovely comments. So um, I, what I have found is that people love the settings so many people have told me, oh, I used to go to Morecambe on a holiday. You know, I love reading about the settings and the locations. And lots of people have emailed me say, oh, we used to go on holiday at the holiday camp where you've set that book. Uh, so it's been, it's been absolutely lovely from that point of view. So I'm, I'm coming back to it. We're doing another three stories based around Morecambe and that area. I know it really well. Obviously, I was at college down there, lived down there for several years as well. So Trust Me Once is written, 75,500 words, and it went off to Julie Cordner for an edit last week. I have been writing at 1,700 words per day, which is roughly a chapter for me. And I don't write exactly 1,700 words, but round about that. Sometimes it's 2,000, and if it's 2,000, I make sure that I write a little bit shorter because I want to keep on my word count. I want to, if I, if I budget for a 75,000 word edit, I want to make sure I'm getting a 75,000 word edit rather than uh, overwriting and ending up paying for a 90,000 word edit. Now I call that portion control. Um, if you were running a restaurant and you were trying to make money, you would not, when you advertise steak on the menu, you wouldn't throw an extra free steak in uh, just for good measure because your portion control would be out of control and you wouldn't make any profit from that. So when 
people work in kitchens, portion control is a very critical part of of the cooking process, of the sort of menu setting process. And as writers, I've really come to believe that your book length is part of your portion control. So you hear of people saying, oh yeah, the book went to 150,000 words. And that has implications for editing costs. It has implications for um, Amazon delivery. and, and pricing costs you can only price it at a certain amount really and also if you make a paperback sometimes your spine width can be so big you actually sort of exceed the, the maximum figures if you make it too big and, and it's hard enough to make any profit on a paperback anyway let alone on a really big thick paperback so I, I really am this is one of my kind of messages one of my learnings about this is that you've got to watch your portion control when you're writing books this is all about creating portion sizes or book lengths that make the maximum profit for you and that don't cost a fortune for you to edit and produce. So for instance, if I wrote a 200,000 word family saga, it's my first book, and um, it cost me a fortune to get it edited, takes me years, maybe two years of my time to produce that book. And then I find out it's so big when I do it that actually I can't even get a paperback made of that size. Right? That's bad portion control because that 200 thousand word book could have been split into um, three sixty five thousand word books and you could make you know much more money you could sequence it better for marketing and sales and the edits would be more manageable and the project would be more manageable and sequential because you'd just write the first sixty five thousand word story get that edited while you're working on the next one so you know i really am unless you're in a genre that that involves writing massive george rr martin books watch your portion control is what i'm going to say to you because then you can release more books make more money and you can watch your costs you can make your costs more manageable and I've, i've never really been as aware of this is when I was doing my rapid release last year. So for me, the sweet spot for a book is 75,000 words. It's a proper book. I can sell it at full price. I could quite comfortably sell that at 4.99 and three of those uh, books put together makes a great value box set. So I, I'm writing 75 to 90,000 words max is my a preferred length but my Morecambe Bay trilogy they're being written to 75,000 words so trust me once was 75 and a half thousand words that's off to Judy for editing now uh, very happy with the story and then I've just started writing this week Fall from Grace which is book two I hit well I will hit 10,000 words of that story tomorrow and I'm just I'm in this frantic process now of writing editing publishing and the first book uh, I've got actually I've got a really good long run in for the first book trust me once that doesn't publish until november the second but then because i'm releasing i'm rapid releasing that series 28 days after the other uh, I, I will start to get a bit bunched up and a little bit tight in terms of editing and turnaround as we get towards the last book now uh, elizabeth mackey did the covers for that series and this again is was part of my portion control that um when I pay Stuart Beish to do the covers, it, obviously it cost me a lot of money to get a Stuart Beish cover, and you know Stuart is the you know is is, a, is the cover master, does wonderful covers, and it's worth every penny of it. But you know sometimes to get the books out fast, I can't afford to pay that much for that many books. So so what I tend to do is you know I make sure I've got quality covers on the books, and then I can come back to those books when they've proven themselves in sales terms, and maybe then 
um, make the covers fitted with all the other ones I've got from Stuart Bay. So I'm very happy to to launch something. I've got to be happy with it. I love I love um, Elizabeth's covers, and to be honest with you, I, I'm very. I don't think I'll change them. I don't think I need to change them because I love the colours. I love the theme she's got going there. Um, she said to me when I when I ordered another three, she said, I'm really pleased I chose that lady's face because I still got lots of pictures of her. And interestingly, by the way, on these covers, um, we worked out that two, if not three of the photographs are not stock images. They're actually images that my wife took when we were in and around Morecambe taking photographs. So um, we're actually using our own location images now. Um, and I sent uh, Elizabeth the, the full size images and said, along with a load of stock shots and things. And, and she obviously looks for stock shots. And she went for a lot of the images that uh, we'd taken, which is fabulous, isn't it? My wife's really chuffed to know that her images are on my book covers now. So I've got the covers as well. Very, very happy with the covers. I mean, it looks really, really like a strong um, series. And as I say to you, I, I think possibly I won't need to get those covers change because I, I love them I think they stand out beautifully and uh, I think it's highly likely I'll write a third trilogy I think I'll probably write that series to nine books in the end with a, with a third trilogy to finish with I don't know when but that's roughly in my head and I know Elizabeth's got enough images to do that so so long as I can come up with a good firm story I quite like to wind up that series at some point with another trilogy but I don't know when that will come so it's great to be back to the fiction again, writing 1,700 words a day. And, you know, really for me, that's that's an hour of concentrated time. Um, it's a maximum of one and a half hours to get to 1,700 words. I did a couple of chapters this week that just took me slightly longer. Um, I had to, I've been writing back in the year 2000. I just had to check a couple of things uh, factually. So it slowed me down a little bit, uh, but, you know, it was fine. And... I, in terms of my energy around COVID at the moment, I'm very, very comfortable doing that at that rate. And six days a week, that's got me the books written. So that's how I'm going to continue uh, for some time. Now, I did say to you, I was waiting to see what happened with my wife and with my wife's work. And I was hoping to find some kind of routine when my wife went back to work. Now, she goes back to work on the 10th of August, but she's not going back to any kind of regular pattern at all. Her, her work pattern is all over the place there's no routine in there at all so I'm just going to maintain I was hoping that she would go back to her her normal pattern which is to work uh, I think it was three well it's four four parts of days a week um, but they're not opening on Sunday so so that that bit isn't going to happen so I thought she'd maybe go back for three days a week and I'd be able to write 5,000 words on each of those days that that is it's not going to happen like that so I, I'm not even going to bother trying and because it's so erratic the way it works, I'm just going to continue writing 1,700 words a day as I have been doing. That's my new routine until I can find a new routine in that. But it's not going to happen for a long, long time with my wife's work. She's not going back uh, you know, full time for a long time. I think that'll take us. I think they'll be doing that to Christmas and beyond at least. Um, and they might even get clamped down again if one of the team's goes down if somebody gets COVID that'll, that'll be them clamped so I think this is just how life's going to be so I, I found a sustainable pattern doing 1,700 words a day and so that's what I'm going to stick to for now so Morgan Bay Trilogy 2 is firing on all cylinders I have also edited the full Don't Tell Meg trilogy now and that got re-released yesterday so just to bring you up to date with that I wrote the Don't Tell Meg trilogy was the first psychological thriller series that I wrote in 2014 maybe something like that 2015 something like that 
And because I, I didn't really know how to market books or sell books at the time, I gave a lot away for free. It did bring down the reviews that I got, the quality of the reviews that I got. And so I, you know, I paid the penalty for that, for you know, giving them away to readers who, who weren't probably even looking at what they were reading. And I, I for some reason, because those reviews had had gone quite low, I'd always got it into my head that that book would need an edit, some work, that perhaps there was all sorts of head hopping and problems with it. And so to come back to it three or four years after I wrote to it, having written a heck of a lot more books in the meantime, it was fascinating for me because that those books are absolutely fine. I'm very, very happy with those books. I did, there was no head hopping in them at all. Um, I was absolutely delighted with that. The, the protagonist's voice was very strong. Um, the only changes that I made to it was I just, I, I toned down the sex scenes a little bit and just so it didn't divide the audience. I, there was nothing wrong with the sex scenes at all, but I just toned it down a little bit and I did remove some of the language and I had started to remove the language. I thought, uh, I was going to swear then, I, I, I just thought, let's not do that uh, because actually it's part of the character of the book and this you know, this language is not bad. If you can't take that for goodness sake, you can't even watch 15 certificate television. So I, I left a lot of the language in because I thought it was a lot of the character of the book, to be honest with you. But I... I just finished reading it yesterday. I really enjoyed the book. I'd forgotten the plot. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, that was good. Oh, that tidies that up. Well, you know, that brings that brings everything nicely together. Just really happy with the whole trilogy. Really enjoyed reading it. And again, it, you know, it has boosted my confidence. And also having so many people compliment that trilogy on Facebook through the Facebook adverts I've been running. It really has been a bit of an ego boost. People love that book. Uh, the people who've read it on Facebook. I wish to God they'd all write reviews on on Amazon, but they <laughs> but they don't unfortunately. Uh, they have, by the way, written reviews. They haven't written reviews for Don't Tell Meg, obviously on on Amazon, but they have for the twelve pack. And if you want to go and look at my Amazon author profile, this is quite interesting actually. I'll just go and tell you. I've got two hundred and something reviews on that box set, and I, I can't work out. Let me just tell you what the average is. Just bear with me a minute, my fiddle around. 250 reviews I've got on that box set, so 250 ratings, and oh, the the average is 4.4, but it looks like it's when you look at the stars, it looks like it's about well, it's four and a half, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the average, and I've got 250 ratings on there. But really, um, Facebook is really where I've had the ego boost because people have just been so effusive about all the books. There's so many people have said all of those books. I loved all of them. And you'd expect in a collection of 12, you'd expect them to say that, you know, two or three were twaddle, wouldn't you? <laughs> but I haven't got that. So as I say, it really has massively boosted my ego. Incidentally, I'm, I, I promised myself I wouldn't rant about this and I'm going to try not to rant about it. But if you want to see a frustrating author experience, if you're listening to this thinking, oh, something needs to take pull down a peg or two, you know, something will come along. Well, it already has. Um, I also released a, a 10 psychological fiction set, which I think I explained to you in the last podcast. I was basically saying that Amazon had forced a price increase of the 12 set. So I'd gone to a 10 set and um, the 10 sets shifting lots of copies. But of course, it's such a long set, it takes people a while to review it. There's one review on that box set at the moment, in spite of selling loads of copies, I mean, it's selling all right, but I haven't had any reviews through it yet uh, because I've only been promoting it recently. It's got a one star review. Okay, I'm going to try not to rant about this. Okay, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. This is the review. Okay, headline, bit of a con. I purchased this after reading the complete thriller collection by Paul J. Teague. Okay, so she bought the 12 pack and then she bought the 10 pack. Unfortunately, the same books appeared in them. 
Unfortunately, I didn't read the contents as it came up recommended for me. I ordered it as I really enjoyed the latter. I shall be more careful in the future. Now, how do you think I feel about that? Okay, so you ordered by accident a book which you didn't look at, even though the contents were explained in it, and you're giving me a one-star review, even though you loved the books. I'm not going to rant. I'm not going to rant. Move on, Paul. Move on. Move away from the one-star review. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you paint a picture of how I felt when I read that review. And I'm going to move on. So having edited The Forgotten Children and the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, I'm now next week going to revisit End of Men. Now, End of Men is this literary sci-fi book that I'm busted to write. And I got it's all planned. It's all ready to go. It's going to be a, is it a 90,000 or a 75,000 word book? It's, it might be a 90, that one. And I wrote the first 11 chapters at the beginning of the year. And because it's a literary science fiction book, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what I did. You know, I just, I just got the approach wrong. The story's quite happy with the story, but I just got some things wrong in it. And I, I, I said, I gave it to my wife when I, when I was continuing at work and, and I hadn't finished work and I was a bit pressed for time. I said to my wife, just read that, will you? And just... I just don't feel like I've, I've quite got that right. And she read it and she said, you know, yes, this, is, this isn't right. This isn't right. So it's easy to fix. It's not a problem. It's really just the, um, the dialogue just needs a change. And, and just one or two elements about the world building. Um, but, but it's fine other than that. So I'm going to revise that now. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do it at the rate of one chapter a day because I've got quite a lot of rewriting to do on each chapter. So I'm going to do one chapter a day. I got to 11 chapters and I'm going to revise that book and see if I can bring it to a point where I'm happy with it. And if I can bring it to a point where I'm happy with it, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to write it straight away. It's probably going to be the first thing I do if we get to Spain. Uh, I, I want to get this trilogy of thrillers done first, but I will come back to it and finish it off if I can get the language of the world right. And in my in my sort of crazy long-term planning, if I do come back to that book, and I, I'll know that in the next two weeks when I've gone through it with a fine tooth comb, I want to get it written uh, so that it's ready for editing on the 23rd of March. So it's very much a quarter four 2020 and a quarter one 2021 kind of project. And that book, um, I've already had a word with Helen Fazal about that. And um, Helen always started doing my my sci-fi books that's what sort of a tr made her approach me in the first place and so I'm going to ask Helen Vizal to edit that and I had got her lined up to edit that one and, and I'd stood stood her down and said it's got problems with it Helen you know I'm not going to commit to a date yet but I if I can get that book sorted and happy with it I, I I've budgeted for Helen to do me an edit and I've budgeted for a Stuart Bache cover on that one uh, and I will probably release it under a complete pseudonym. It probably won't even go under uh, anything with the word Teague in it. It will probably go as a complete pseudonym because it's likely to be a little bit controversial when it comes out. So I don't particularly want my name on that one. Um, but I also might try it for uh, traditional publishing. But I've got to get past those 11 chapters first and make sure I'm happy. So there's a long way to go with that. But in my mind, that's where I'm going with the planning. Okay, that's my writing update. We'll take a short break and then I'll talk to you about some sales and marketing shares that I've got for you. If you've ever found this podcast helpful, you can now support my work by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. 
Maybe I've saved you some time by sharing a new resource. Perhaps I passed some information on that you weren't aware of, or you may just like catching up with another author who's doing what you're trying to do and checking in on a regular basis. I prefer to use Buy Me A Coffee because unlike Patreon, you don't have to sign your life away to show your support for the podcast. You can make small one-time contributions at the price of a cup of coffee, or you can support monthly or even annually. The choice is yours and you can make one-off donations at any level you choose. So if you want to support the future development of this show, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. And thank you very much in advance for your help in keeping this particular show on the road. I did say this episode is going to be a long one because there's a lot of catching up to do and I've got some sales and marketing shares for you this week and here's a great site that I discovered now I cannot remember where I found out about this it probably came from a podcast or maybe somebody sent me the link so if you were the person who sent me the link thank you for that but it's a site called it's hard to say I think it's like short for booklink.com but it's bklnk like booklink.com And I'll put the link in the show notes. So if you go to paulteague.com forward slash podcast, you'll be able to see the show notes for this episode. Now, this also relates to Lee Wood's question, which you're going to be hearing a little bit later on as well. Now, with that, that that site is free. It's a donation-only website that uh, an author who's very good with coding has set up. But it is a beautiful website because what it will allow you to do is to check if you put your ASIN number in, it will tell you what categories you're currently in, in the US, UK and Canada, but also it will tell you which categories other people are in. So if you're researching categories for your genre, for your your book, what I would recommend you do is first of all, check the categories that you're in already, then find books that are just like your book Put the ASIN into this website and it will tell you all the categories that there that, that book is listed. Now, what I really love about it though is that the way that it lists the categories allows you to just cut and paste those categories and put it in the email to Amazon to say, please will you add me to this category? Now, if you've ever done this before, um, Amazon lets you choose, is it two categories uh, when you list your book? And they're crazy categories, they're really broad and generic. And then you could email them to say, please, would you put my book in these categories? Now, I've had this before where I've, I've gone exploring categories on Amazon and I've asked them to put it in a category. They've said, oh, that's not available in the UK or you haven't given them the correct path for that or that's a paperback category. It's really confusing. Now, with this, if you're trying to get the categories for your ebook, you can put the categories in for other ebooks, which are just like yours, and then you can cut and paste the categories that you want to go for. Now, there's another step to this which relates to making sure that you're putting your book in the right categories. So you want to put your book in categories that are busy enough, you know, that they've got a reasonable amount of activity in. So you don't want to to list your book in a category that frankly no one's listing it and no one's buying in. So you want an active category, but you don't want to be in a category that's so busy that you can't possibly make any sales. So I do Vigilante Justice is my main category for my books. And uh, that's where I've been at number one. It's a nice busy category. It's got the kind of books that I write in there. Um, But I can get to number one in that category. Um, So I can sell lots of books in that category. 
but I could also get to number one in that category as, 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 as not a Stephen King, Harlan Coben kind of writer. Now, if I tried to get to number one in something like crime and thrillers on Amazon, I wouldn't stand a chance. No way. I've, I just haven't got the kick power to do that. Even though I might list my book in that category, I haven't got the kicking power to get to the top of that chart. So you've got to pick your categories carefully. And this resource is amazing and it's free. So please take a look at that. It's booklink.com. And I'll put the link because it's really hard to say it. You can't say that link. Just go to paulteague.com forward slash podcast to take a look at that link. And with that said, one of the things I remembered to do was to change my categories on my pre-sale of Trust Me Once. So Trust Me Once gets released on the 2nd of November. And normally what I would do for a pre-release is I would just pop it, you know, I'd, I'd list it, put the two main categories in. And then obviously it would go for pre-release. And I wouldn't generally change the categories until I remembered after that book had been released. But what it occurred to me is I think I've got 60, how many, I, I had 64. Let me just check the latest numbers. I think I've got 64 pre-sales on that book at the moment. Let me just take a look and just make sure that's up to date. Yeah, 64. I've got 64 pre-sales on Trust Me Once at the moment. And obviously on the day that I launch, obviously I'm going to try and get that number up. I'm working really hard at that. But it makes sense to be listed in those categories because it means I'm going to go higher up in the charts on the day that I launch when I when I register all those sales. So I'm patting myself on the back because for once in my life, I remembered to list my pre-sale book in the categories that I want it to go in from launch rather than two weeks, after, two weeks after it's launched when I remember. So that's just a little tip for you again. If you're launching a book, do your category research first up front. Now, here's a link that I discovered on the Alliance of Independent Authors weekly podcasts, and it's a site called Linktree. And effectively, what it does is it allows you to share one link um, on, say, your Twitter profile. And when you click that one link, it gives you a tree of links. So if you've ever written your Twitter profile, you know you're very limited with the characters that you could use. So I think at most I've only ever managed to sneak in two web links in my Twitter profile. So wouldn't it be great if you could put a link saying, you know, find out more about me here and there's one web link and it opens this web link and then all of a sudden you get this lovely uh, tree or branches with all your other web links in. Well, that's exactly what I've got. So I, my my um, link is link, it's L-I-N-K, link T-R, Dot ee so linktree link forward slash Paul T. If you go to my Twitter profile, you can take a look at this. And what it effectively creates is a single page that then has my podcast link on, my website links, thrillers, sci-fi, and everything. So it's one link to serve them all, basically. And I'd never heard of that before in my life. And I just heard it on that Alliance of Independent Authors show. I think it was with Orna Ross and Joanna Penn, if I remember. I'd never heard that link before very very useful for, for your social media profiles and um, I, I think primarily they were talking about it for your Instagram profile in Instagram you can only get one link on your profile now I, I've given up with Instagram it's not something I'm interested in it's not something that's going to serve me I don't believe as an author so um, I don't use Instagram but I do know that Instagram is quite frustrating because you can't put links in in regular posts and you could only put one link in your profile so this link tree works really well for directing traffic so again i'll put the link for that on this week's show notes 
I did want to say to you that I'm constantly getting rejected for BookBub ads at the moment. I've been trying, 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 trying every month, every book, every trilogy that I've got, I've been trying. I haven't been trying every book. I don't put uh, standalone books on BookBub. But every sci-fi and every thriller trilogy that I've got, so that's The Grid, The Secret Bunker, it's Don't Tell Megan, it's Morgan Bay trilogy. I have been listing those or submitting those every month, regular as clockwork, to BookBub. And they've been knocking them back every single month and I'm assuming that's because they are in KDP Select. They're not listed wide at the moment. So we all, we all know that BookBub prefer them to be listed wide. Now, I am at the moment, this is why my income's going to go down. One of the problems with having your books listed at different times in KDP Select is it's very hard to get them all in or all out at the same time. And because I added books to KDP Selected in a fragmented way. All of their dates when they come out of KDP Select are fragmented at the moment. And what I want to do is I need to align them so that um, I can either put all my thrillers into KDP Select or bring them all out and list them wide. And at the moment, I think I, I've got books coming out of KDP Select in, in thrillers, and but they're not all out. I'm not completely free to list until... Uh, September the 20th I think it is and then it's the same with my sci-fi books I'm not free to list them all until I think that's August sometime so what I'm doing and I'm, I will take a financial penalty for this but it does make my life easier when I've got them all aligned is I'm taking them all out and then I will put them all back in in the same date and that means I can do three months of KDP select and then they're all out at the same time rather than at different times it makes it very hard to manage things so again this is a little tip for you bear that in mind if you've got a lot of books try and keep the kdp select dates aligned it gets very very hard otherwise when you're putting things wide and then you're putting them into kdp select so that's a little change um, i'm going to be making but I, I i want to promote those books on bookbub and if i have to go wide i have to go wide. i really want a bookbub on that 12 pack selling it at 99 pence because I think uh, touch wood I think it will do really well looks like they're going to force me to list it wide if they do I will because I really want to get a book bub on that it ought to sell pretty well particularly as it's got so many good reviews on Amazon so I'll keep you up to date with that don't miss the Twitter ads results video um when I'm getting used to buy me a coffee at the moment and I, I think I said to you when I released that Twitter ads video I said to you I'll put that somewhere where if you um, support me through buy me a coffee you'll get access to it now what I hadn't realized and I've worked, worked this out I did say this is experimentation with this podcast at the moment what I hadn't realized is is I can only lock content if I do the Patreon model on buy me a coffee and I'm not doing the Patreon model on buy me a coffee I'm not going to get into that so I just put the link to the video if you go to the mini episode where i talk about twitter ads and you look at the show notes you'll just be able to get that video without supporting me on buy me a coffee i just made it available to everybody so if you want to watch that walkthrough of twitter ads uh, it's free to do so you don't need to support me on buy me a coffee um it, it's just on the show notes for that mini episode so it was something like six or seven i think episodes is six or seven of the mini episodes but you'll see it if you look for it at pault.com forward slash podcasts um, but I ran another 20 quid's worth of promos on Twitter ads. It's good, low cost. I got the cost even lower, actually. I think I got it down to about 9p per click. Uh, just need to figure out how I'm going to track those to, to make sure I'm getting the results from them. But certainly uh, very good sort of traffic off that. Well, well worth a look, well worth a play on a small budget, I would say.
The other thing I wanted to say to you is that I finally got organized with, with working out what I'm spending on ads and what they're costing me. And I think I'd said to you before that I ditched book reports in favor of the, the KDP reporting dashboard. And primarily I do use the KDP reporting dashboard. I, I do prefer the way that that projects your numbers. But actually I've gone back to book report and I'm now taking an annual subscription for it. Because what I have gone and done is created a spreadsheet right from the beginning of the year, from January. And I can't remember when I listed that 12 pack of books on KDP Select. So when I, I can't remember when I started making money, it was sometime at the end of January. And what I've done right up to date is I've put my, now I've, I've analyzed my, um, how much I made per day and book report gives me that figure, how much I spent on Facebook ads per day. And I've also factored in how much I spent on Amazon ads and Twitter ads. So I can get my complete for any, any month now, I can get my complete income and outgoings and my net profit which is uh, was a fascinating thing to do. I thought I would, when I'd done that spreadsheet, I thought that I would be able to look at it and say, oh, you know, if you spend around 200 pound a month, you get the best kind of profit level. But you know, you, you can't do that. There were days when I was spending over 400 pounds a day on Facebook ads, yet you can't, you can't say how much profit you're gonna make when you, when you spend that. So let me just go through, where are we? Where am I high? Let me just go through some of the the um, the spends that I did on Facebook. Let's try and get some uh, some high spends. So when I when I started in January, um, I only advertised a couple of days in January. So it was you know five six quid. I was at six quid five quid two ninety six, and then I increased it gradually. So in February we were getting to nineteen pounds a day, twenty pounds a day, and then I started getting more confident with it as I saw the profits come in. So if you look at the eighteenth of February, for instance, I spent nineteen pounds seventy nine on Facebook ads, but I made eighty seven pound fifty in profit. Sorry, in income, I beg your pardon, not profit. Um, so I was making four times what I spent on that day. And so then I increased what I was spending. And if you take a look at, say, the 23rd of February, I had a punt on a £150 day on Facebook ads. And I still made profit, but I only made um, £218 of income. So what was that? That's about 50 68 quid. I made 68 quid profit, which is fine, but there isn't this direct correlation between you. Know, I spend this much, I make this much profit. It doesn't work like that. So there's another day on the 29th of February where I spent £46.62 on Facebook ads and I made £190 of profit. And that's after the profit that I made, the, the less profit I made on that £150 day. So what, what I noticed is that there was no particular correlation between what I spent and what I made. So uh, on the 30th of March, I spent 500 pounds and 31 pence on Facebook ads. Can you tell why I was fretting about why I was running up on my credit card now? 500 quid in a day on Facebook ads, you know, because I, I wanted to try this while I was making profit. So I spent 500 pounds and I made 655 pounds worth of book sales on that day. Then the day after I spent 524 pounds and I made 657 pounds of book sales on that day. So there's nothing I can tell you from that data that when I look at it, it doesn't really tell me anything other than that obviously you always need to be looking for profit. You've always got to be looking to make profit. And what I would say to you is that my comfort 
zone I, I am more comfortable and i seem to make good profit spending at about you know 100 pounds a day that's about the level where i sort of be doubling my money um but i, I i'm not spending so much that it frightens the life out of me um you know so if you look at uh, where are we now which month is this april i spent 7144 pounds on facebook ads in april i spent uh, 1000 pounds in february on Facebook ads. I spent £6,197 on Facebook ads in March. So, you know, those are eye-watering amounts. They're eye-watering amounts. And I know if, you, if you're making profit from it all the time, which I was, I was making profit. I was making twice as much in profit. So if you look at um, April, which I think was my best month, £7,144 on um, Facebook ads, income was £15,501 and my profit was over just over 50%, £7,887. So while you're making that kind of profit, that's fine, but you've got to watch those numbers. You've absolutely got to watch those numbers like a hawk because you can see that if you're spending 500 quid on Facebook ads in a day, you can lose the shirt off your back very, very quickly if you're not all over those numbers. So, um, so there's nothing I could really tell you uh, about the numbers there's no um you know magic spend number i can tell you other than um and i wish i'd done this actually from the get-go i wish i'd, I'd done this I've, I've done a spreadsheet where i've got the date i've got how much i spent on facebook ads i've got how much i made that day and i use book report to tell me how much i made that day i've i've then uh, put a formula in that tells me what my profit is I then have a, an extra column where at the end of the month I put how much I spent on Amazon ads in the UK, in the USA and in Germany. So it takes that amount off my profit and it gives me a net profit amount at that point. So it takes into account all my ad expenditure. So that is a net profit total amount for the end of the month. And uh, now I've got that going, I figured out a system for that. I will keep that going and keep an eye on my profitability. But that's all really all I can recommend to you. I can't say to you, you know, if you spend 500 quid, you'll make more profit because it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't seem to work that way. But I, I feel that, um, you know, sort of 50, from 50 quid onwards a day to 150 quid a day, the sweet spot is somewhere in there in that it's bringing you good profit. You know, you can make 100% profit, but it's not spending so much money uh, that it you know exposes regular people like you and me. If if you're Mark Dawson, you've got zillions coming in all the time. It probably doesn't matter. Uh, but for those of us who have to watch the pennies, you know that was a more comfortable expenditure level for me. So that is um, those are the ads. That's bringing you up to date with ads. But yeah, I'm now buying Book Report um, on an annual basis because the KDP reporting dashboard won't give me that level of data where I say how much money did I make on a particular day and I can also burrow deeper into that well I, I'm sure the Amazon one does but it's a nightmare to use it's much quicker in book report book report also tells me how much money I've made this year you know just really really simply so I'm, I'm using a combination of the two of them now and that's working really very well for me now here's another tip and trick that I learned as a result of making all these sales recently this is all new experience. I mean, I'm sure I haven't heard this on a podcast before, though coincidentally, I did hear it in a podcast this week mentioned. So maybe it's just what you pay attention to is what you absorb when you're listening to podcasts. But I didn't realise when you have a big box set the size of the one that I've been selling, the 12 pack, that you can only get paid 
for the first 3,000 pages. So you only get, I, my, my box set, my complete thriller collection, which is the 12 pack, has uh, the Kindle edition normalized page count, K-E-N-P-C, is 3,962. So when somebody takes that book and reads it, I, only, I can only get paid for 3,000 of those pages. So effectively 962 of them are a waste of time. And with the, the 10 pack of books, the KENPC is 3,575. So in that collection, I've got 575 pages that are frankly a waste of time from a business point of view. When people borrow the book, the most I can earn is on the first 3,000 pages. Now that's fascinating. I've also got a little um, test going on my sci-fi books, but the Kindle edition normalized page count on that is 1,910. So of course that isn't a problem as far as that's concerned. So um, this goes back to what I was saying to you about portion control. Now, when I created that 12 pack of books, my sole intention was to create massive value at a ridiculous price so that Obviously, I was making money from the sales, but I would make my money from the page reads. I was really trying to push the page reads. Now, I think the question I have to ask myself is, in terms of portion control, every page that's over 3,000 there, which actually is probably probably seven, seven or eight books would have done the 3,000 pages. I probably should have been selling seven or eight books in that package. But the question is, would I have sold as many if I had have reduced the number? And I can't answer that question for you because frankly, one book at 99 pence is good value. Three is excellent value. Anything more than three is amazing value if it's 99 pence or 99 cents. But the reason that that offer worked so well was because it was amazing value for 12 books. I mean, you know, you could hate 11 of them, enjoy one of the stories and you've still got your money's worth in that scenario. So I don't know what my conclusion is with that, but I did just want to flag this up to you because I didn't realize it until fairly recently. Only the first 3000 pages count. So there has to be an argument there for saying, well, it's pretty pointless. Anything over 3000 pages is, is a waste of your time. So for instance, my guess is that I probably could have halved what was in that box set. Maybe I could have just sold the Don't Tell Meg trilogy and the Walk Bay trilogy in that box set, sold it for 99 pence, and I might have made as much money, but I might have made less money, of course, because it was less of a, a no-brainer kind of deal with only six books in it. So I really don't know what the answer is, but I do need to give it some thought, and I would recommend that you give it some thought, because there's lots of pages in that that I didn't get paid for, even though people read the lot. Now, if I'd have reduced the number of books in that collection, say to seven or eight, that would have led, left an extra five books that they might have bought for full price and I would have made even more profit from that. So I don't know what my conclusion is from that other than that, oh, that's very interesting. Also, of course, I'm not moaning because I've had a couple of good months, so I'm certainly not moaning about it, but it's you need to clock that. I think you need to be aware of that. And if you are making one of these box sets, you do need to give that some consideration when you're thinking about how large the box set is going to be. One of the things that I really want to do is to build my mailing list again, but I don't really want to go back to building it on book funnel with book giveaways and things like that, because I feel like I've paid the penalty for that, you know, with the Duff reviews and the people who are just freebie seeking and things like that. When I, when I look at the kind of reviews and the comments I get from people who are paying even, you know, 99 pence for that collection, those targeted, dedicated readers, 
it's it's way better. I want a bit more of that. I want I want those readers subscribing, and I think I missed the trick. You know, I've now what I would say is that every single book in that twelve book collection has author notes in it, and in every set of author notes, so twelve times there are twelve calls to action there to sign up for my mailing list. But still, people didn't really do it. I got handful but not many when you think how many people have been buying that book i ought to have got more than that so that tells me that just saying you know sign up to my list to get special offers and hear about new releases first that isn't good enough so i've been giving some consideration to how i might improve my signups and i don't want to do the book funnel thing for that even though i know it would work i don't want to do that because i wasn't really happy with the quality of the list i got from that so i wanted to tell you today then about something you i'm trying one of the bits of feedback or the most regular bit of feedback i've had about the don't tell meg trilogy and the walk and bay trilogy is that people love the setting so much of don't tell meg is based in in blackpool there's loads of blackpool stuff in there and obviously the walk and bay trilogy is based around the bay in morecambe and people tell me they love that and now, so what I've done now is I've put a call to action in the books and I'm now giving away what I'm calling um, Charlotte, who's the main character, Charlotte's Morecambe Bay scrapbook. And I've used a template in Canva, free template in Canva, which looks like it's got photos stuck on with sticky tape and things like that and, you know, bits torn out of newspapers. It looks like a scrapbook. It's really good, actually. And, and then they've put... Um, placeholder photographs in it and I just have to just add my photographs to it and duplicate pages and I've got this 18 page um, scrapbook and I've used a typewriter font to make it look kind of rough and ready like a scrapbook would look and I've basically given an 18 page pdf download which is full of all the locations in the book and so I'm just starting to test this now early indications are good but I've put a little drop down on my thriller site I think it's paulteague.co.uk and um, saying get Charlotte's uh, scrapbook and I've also put it in all the versions of the book now to say you know, if you want to look at the locations in this book get Charlotte's scrapbook so what I'm trying to do is I'm listening to my reader feedback which is that we love the locations we love the setting of this book and I'm trying to super serve that with a message that is more than sign up to get my newsletter i'll send you my latest news which is a bit oh, a bit of a yawn reel isn't it so i'll see how that goes now this is something that i could do for a lot of my books because they always have very strong setting and i take photographs as you know of, of the places so i've got friends who lies benny dorm i've got loads of pictures for that i've got uh, no more secrets which is based in the highlands around uh, Fort William I've got lots of pictures of that so I could do a scrapbook for that obviously Morecambe Bay I, I we were down last week down at Sunderland Point which is one of the key locations for this new uh, series that I'm writing for Morecambe Bay I've got loads of images for Sunderland Point lots and lots of images there for another scrapbook for that uh, series of books uh, what else have we got most of the books I've got uh, photos for. So I'm just going to experiment in a small way with that scrapbook to see if it improves the signups. Um, because again, if you if you get that scrapbook, you, you must be kind of pretty well engaged with the story, I would suggest. But I, 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 need, I, I need some new tricks, uh, some new email tricks. Now, of course, the next thing is I actually got to email my <laughs> subscribers, which I've been horrendously lax at doing. But... Um, you know, if I start to get more signups that way, I, I, 
I remember hearing Mark Dawson say that he he had some kind of redacted file about his main character, and that's what he gave away for his sign-ups. And I think that's a really nice idea. And I can always remember trying to do something similar to make it look like some dossier, um, but I couldn't find a decent template for it. But I have found a beautiful template for this scrapbook. So just to let you know, if you go to the resources page, paulteague.com forward slash podcast, all the URLs are changing now. Now I've moved over to Anchor. So paulteague.com forward slash podcast, you will see uh, the subscribe page link and I'll give you a direct link to the scrapbook so you can see what I've done. And it might inspire some ideas on your part, but I'll tell you whether it works over the forthcoming months. I have said to you throughout this that I know how vulnerable I am when I list only on Amazon. And so I am mindful that I might need to go wide again at some point in the future. And I have to say to you that my impression is is that actually my sci-fi does better when it's wide because I get uh, I do better with the bookbub promos. So I, I think I'm going to put my sci-fi back wide. I was unable to replicate a sci-fi box set selling as well as a thriller box set. So that must be a genre thing, I assume. But um, I've also said to you that with my non-fiction, I'm not going to put that in a book bub because I just don't think it works as a book bub. When, when it's a book about how to start a podcast, you either want to start a podcast or you don't. No amount of discounting is going to make you say, oh, I'll buy a podcast book, even though I don't want to do a podcast because it's cheap. That's not going to happen. So really with non-fiction books, you need to be putting non-fiction books in the hands of people who actually really want the book. So I, I would never do a book bub on a non-fiction book. And I have been running some experiments on Facebook ads, and I will get back to those. I just decided to concentrate on making as much money out of the 12 pack of fiction books that I could. But I am going to get back to the, the non-fiction books. Uh, and, and, and sort of monitor monitor the income and profit on those. Um, and when I sell them, I'm selling them full price on Facebook too, by the way. But um, I did try, because those books are listed wide, I did try, or I have been trying, some Kobo sales. So if, if you've ever listed books in Kobo, you can get this promotions tab added. You have to email them to get it. I don't know why they don't do it by default, but in uh, Kobo Writing Life, you ask for this little tab to be added to your console, which adds a promotions tab. And they have all these lovely promotions. I've tried them before. And I'd love to support Kobo. I really, really would love Kobo to do well for me. But unfortunately, it doesn't. And I just wanted to let you know that I've had two promos running on my non-fiction. So I had How to Start a Podcast on a Kobo Writing Life promotion. It was the daily deal. And I reduced the price uh, of the daily deal. I was happy to do that. Um, and Kobo take 10% of the proceeds. And, and I got this beautiful, it was in, I think it was Canada, New Zealand. It might have been the US as well. Uh, but certainly I think it was Canada and New Zealand, maybe Australia. So it was on, it was on limited front pages of, of daily deals. And I looked at the Canadian site and it was a beautiful promo. I mean, it was really good quality, huge promo on this page. No complaints at all. Beautiful, beautiful marketing. But even with that prominence, and with the price at 99p, I sold eight copies and made £1.92 on that promo. And this is what I say to you about Kobo. I desperately want to love Kobo. I desperately want Kobo to work for me so that I don't, I'm not reliant on an Amazon because I understand the danger of being reliant only on Amazon. But try as I might, and whenever I can, I, I, I submit to these Kobo promotions. They just don't shift the numbers for me. The only thing that ever shifts numbers through Kobo is a book promo. That's the only thing that works with, with Kobo. And then this weekend, I'm in a 
another promotion. It's the weekend price drop sale. That's on Kobo too. Now, very quickly, I should have done this before I spoke to you. I'll just have a quick look. I don't know whether I've got any sales coming in on that yet, but let's just see if there's anything in on that yet. Well, no, that, that can't have started. Either it can't have started or I've got no activity. But I can see from my map, I sold one of those books. There are four books in Canada, two books in the States, and one book in Australia. And the prominence of the image, the promo, was, was excellent. I can't complain about that. There just doesn't seem to be that level of activity or life around Kobo. And I would dearly love there to be. Because wouldn't it be great if we had a, an alternative to Amazon that would really give Amazon a run for its money? Okay, well, that will bring you up to date pretty well then with my sales and marketing information that I wanted to share. I told you it was going to be a long one today. There's a lot to catch up with. Let's now go to uh, a new feature, an occasional feature of the show. And I was undecided about whether I was going to stick with this or not. But if you go to paulteague.com forward slash question, you can actually record questions for this show. And I'm delighted to say that in the nick of time for this week's episode, Lee Wood asked a question. And uh, well, let Lee give you the question now, and then I'll tell you what my answer is. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.com forward slash podcast. If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, head for paulteague.com forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thanks very much for listening. And I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague. Bye bye for now.